0: Well, thank you so much for being here this evening. I know that over the course of the history of the Crux, um, there's been a practice that I think has been somewhat intermittent. uh, But there's a statement that I understand that you have often uh, read out loud together. So we're going to put that on the screen. And um, I like it when I discovered it not too long ago. So let's say this out loud. It says, Come ye broken, come ye poor. Come ye needy, come ye outcast, come ye addict, come ye seeker, come ye atheist, come. Come ye pagan, come ye lost, diseased, dying, confused, and lonely. Come ye long-lost sinners to the crux, where we believe that Jesus is the answer to all, where his grace will be preached every week and his gospel will be the focal point of our ministry to the world. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. This is what we fight for. This is why we exist. This is our mission, to declare to the world that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that indeed you plus nothing equals everything. God, forgive us for forgetting that. Forgive us for how quickly we Try to add to that Jesus plus something, Jesus plus a good job, Jesus plus being popular, Jesus plus a healthy body, Jesus plus whatever it is, that anything contributes to our well-being beyond you. And so, Lord, we're here to worship you. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word tonight, God, that you would be real that you would give us your wisdom and your grace to live To live faithfully. We thank you, we pray in your great name. Amen. Tonight I want to share with you some of my thoughts out of the scriptures. We're ultimately going to live land in, in the life of Joseph, which is in Genesis chapter 37. If you have a Bible, you want to get there. I have a few things prior to that point, but uh, Genesis 37 is where we're going to land. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Has anybody here ever run a marathon? Oh, a couple of crazy people. Okay, that's cool. Years ago, my sister ran her first marathon. It was the Marine Corps Marathon here in the Arlington and D.C. area. And I didn't run it. I, I, I ran parts of it. And you say, you're not supposed to do that. I'm like, Okay, I know that now. I didn't honestly know it at the time, really, for real. So I started with her. I, we started at the starting line together. I ran the first mile with her, and then I went up onto the overpass and picked her up at mile five, okay? Ran with her to about mile eight. Then I, dec- I, I metroed from Roslyn into D.C. and picked her up at mile 14. Uh, yeah, I see her the jaw's dropping. You're like, you idiot, I can't believe you did that. So then ultimately made it back to the... Um, uh, to the Iwo Jima Memorial, which is where the race ends up uh, at the end of all of that. It says in 1 Corinthians 9 Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And there we were at the finish line. And it seemed like it was taking forever for her to arrive. All these people were crossing over. Some of them were walking. Some of them were limping. Some of them were being helped across. Some of them were falling once they got to the other side. I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what is this condition that she's going to be in once she gets to the other side here? And then off in the distance we saw her, and she was looked great. She was running. And as she rounded the memorial and she saw us, she did what is so typical of her. She was like, hi, hi. And we're like, oh my gosh, she's so bizarre. That's just who she is. Outgoing, as bubbly and annoying as ever as she crossed over just these miles and miles of running. And I thought, how did she do that? All these people are coming in, stumbling across They're being helped across. How did she end up doing that? The truth is, she was prepared. She had learned over the course of time how to train to run in such a way as to finish well. Well, I'm going to talk to you about a person in the Bible who knew what it was to run with perseverance and to finish strong. And it's my hope that from this person's life, Joseph... In Genesis chapter 37 that you and I will learn a little bit about what it means to run with perseverance the race marked out for us Genesis chapter 37 now we're going to race through a bunch of scriptures so try to keep up because we're going to run through literally his whole life in a very short period of time throughout these various scriptures Genesis 37 verse 2 it says Joseph a young man of 17 that's important remember how old he was when all this began he was 17 and he was tending flocks with his brothers the sons of Bilha and the sons of Zilpah, his father and his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. First bad mistake that Joseph made in this whole process. Now Israel, that was his name of his father, aka Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented coat. We see here the evidence of about what was about to happen In this young man's life, Joseph's father breaks the cardinal rule of parenting of all time, which is don't show favorites when it comes to your children. Verse 4, it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Oh, but it gets worse. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood, on, uh, stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? They asked. And they hated him all the more because of his dreams. And what he had said. Now, because Joseph at this point in time was not blessed with sharp intellect, he, and evidence the lack of discernment, he went on stupidly enough to share with them one more dream that he had. Then he said another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were all bowing down to me. Now you understand a couple of critical things about this time in history. There were two things that people in this time in history did not have that you and I have today. Anyone want to venture a guess at what the two things are that we have that Joseph didn't have in this time in history? What? Soap. No, a theologically, about our walk with God. The, the Bible, right, he did not have the Bible. This is written in the book of Genesis. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Anyone? Moses. When did Moses live? After Joseph. So this whole story was written. The whole Bible was written after Joseph's life. So Joseph didn't have any Bible. The second thing that Joseph didn't have was? What? (laughs) Cell phone. Good, yes. Brilliant crowd. Awesome. Anyone, anyone? The Holy Spirit, thank you. He did not have the Holy Spirit like we have the Holy Spirit. And so God used a variety of means to communicate his truth. Can God communicate through dreams? Yes, he can. Does he normally communicate through dreams today? No, he largely doesn't. Why? Because you have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Joseph did not. While his brothers were out in the fields, Joseph comes to see them. And here's where the plot unfolds. Genesis 37, verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother? Remember, they were plotting to kill him and cover up his blood. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands upon him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. They took that fancy coat that his father had made him. They killed a goat. They doused it in in the goat's blood, and they sent it home to their father, claiming that Joseph must have been killed. Fast forward. Where does Joseph end up? Anyone? Anyone? Egypt. Thank you. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And here's where I want you to understand your first point. If you read the group me that, that I sent out this afternoon, I asked you the question about difficulty and pain. Can God possibly have purpose for that in your life is it possible for God to just take away your pain in your life sure so why doesn't he point number one in our journey through the life of Joseph it is important for you and for me to understand that present pain often makes little sense You are in pain about something in your life and you're trying to make sense of it. You need to understand that as the plan of God unfolds and it it involves pain in your life, it will not make sense for you while it's happening. That is normal. That is universal. Here Joseph, minding his own business. Not a bad kid, perhaps a dumb kid, but not a bad kid. And where does he end up? He is a slave in Egypt. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about what Joseph might have been thinking. I would venture kind of a sanctified guess that perhaps he was thinking, Why is this happening? God, what have I done? God, what are you going to do? We can only assume that Joseph was a human struggler like the rest of us. I believe that you and me as Americans over against many peoples from around the world, tend to struggle with the question why far more often than people of other cultures. If you were to venture into the third world, perhaps on a mission trip, and you sit out in the front yard or in a thatched roof hut of someone there that I have done on several occasions myself, and you see people with disabilities, Broken bones that never healed because they never went to a doctor or whatever happens to be. These people rarely ask why. If you were to be exposed to the persecuted church around the world, people who meet in, 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 in fear of their lives, often in the middle of the night for church, in the dark, on their knees... When they sing, they don't actually vocalize the words. They mouth hymns without making any noise so that they can't be heard. This is how they worship. Why is not the word on their lips? But for you and for me, privileged Americans who have far more than we need in virtually every situation, who are the first ones to ask why? It's you and me. John 16 says, I have told you that these things so that you, may be, that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You are going to have trouble. Don't act like you did anything wrong when you have trouble because you, 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 you likely didn't. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I told you several weeks ago, about the pain that my family has been going through lately. Two years ago, my wife's best friend was murdered by her husband. And yesterday, Monday and Tuesday of this week, was the culmination of the trial. If you've seen it in the newspapers, he was found guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And although we find satisfaction and peace that justice has been served, it's important to understand that we recognize we don't have joy in that. No one wins in this situation. Everyone loses this side of eternity in this situation. There are still five children without either parent now. My wife's best friend will never come back. My children's second mom will never come back. And there are many days where point number one, present pain makes little sense, has been very true for our family, even now. For you understand, it's not over. The hardest part has been now set aside, but now we all have to testify in (coughs) custody hearings and civil trials and so much more that is still yet to come. Present pain makes little sense. When you and I ask why, 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 why? We embody Isaiah 45, 9, which says, But doom to you who fight your maker. You're a pot at odds with the potter. Does clay talk back to the potter? We've covered we covered this a couple weeks ago. What are you doing? What clumsy fingers. Is that what we say to the potter? No. We shouldn't be doing that. Instead, like Joseph, Genesis 39. That's what it says. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. Even as a slave, he prospered. (coughs) And he lived in the house (coughs) of his Egyptian master. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Why is this? Why is this? Brings us to point number two, which is in present pain, we must remain faithful. Joseph was in pain. He didn't understand it, but in the midst of it, he remained faithful and God was with him. We don't know the details of Joseph's situation beyond what the Bible tells us. We don't know all the things that he thought, all the things that we, he felt. We don't know that there are times that he didn't want to give up. But what we do know is that he didn't give up. We do know that. We do know that. The Bible tells us in Colossians 3.23 that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you do, no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances, do all you do for the Lord. First Peter says this, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. We do. Yay, we we rejoice in this part. We like this part. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trial. Boo. We don't like that part. We like the part that that the salvation that we have that's ours, it's going to be revealed. Not yet. It's coming. We love that. But for now... We face the realities of life. And here is the purpose. The Bible tells us that you are suffering in whatever way you are suffering. Here it is. So that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed. Your perseverance and endurance through the struggles of this life, the purification of your faith, is what you then give back to Jesus when he is revealed in the last day. That is your gift to him, to his praise and his glory when he returns. Your perseverance, which results in your transformation. Back to the life of Joseph. Joseph had some problems in Potiphar's house, specifically Potiphar's wife. We could just say it in a lot of ways, but she was rather warm for his form, shall we say, when it comes to things around the house. She tried to get him to sleep with her. He refused. And though she spoke to Joseph day but after day, Genesis 39 says, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her, even be near her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Here's a young man. At this point, remember, he started out, he was 17. Perhaps he's around 20, working hard. My guess he's he's pretty much of a stud at this point. This woman's hitting on him. What's he going to do? He can say, I'm just a slave. I'm just doing what I'm told. Potiphar was one of the high officials in the Egyptian kingdom. He could have had any woman she, he wanted. I'm sure she was really hot. All right, let's just call it what it is. But he did the right thing. He did the right thing. And she wasn't happy about it. And she made up a lie. And he ended up in jail. He did the right thing, and he ended up in jail. Are you kidding me? Come on, God. Hasn't it been bad enough for this guy? I mean, he's gotten a shaft all the way along. He's, it hasn't made sense. Yet he's been faithful, and he gets put in jail. And here's what you need to remember, point number three. Our present pain often seems unfair. It seems unfair. Have you ever had something happen in your life that was just unfair? Like, this is wrong. I am truly a victim in this situation. I didn't do anything. I'm minding my own business. If you haven't, you, you likely will at some point in your life. There's a story about Albert Einstein. He was interacting with some of his brighter students about God and whether or not God exists. Einstein asked this provocative question. He said, What percent of the total knowledge of the universe do you suppose we as human beings possess? Like, of all the knowledge that is possible, what amount of knowledge, of all of that knowledge, do you think we possess as human beings? They gave various estimates, but all came up with an agreement that they thought, in their best guess, perhaps about 2% of all the knowable things in the universe. And the old physicist replied, I think your guesses are high, but I'll accept the figure of 2%. Now tell me, what are the chances that God exists in the other 98%? Let's put it a different way. What are the chances that the sense of your pain exists, not in the 2% of your understanding, but in the 98% of that which you do not understand? If you knew everything that there was to know, your pain would make sense. But there's a lot you don't know, and it doesn't make sense to you. And you see, there are three responses to pain. Three basic responses to pain. You can choose to become bitter, you can choose to become mediocre, or you can choose to stay faithful. Those are your only choices. When you feel that life has been unfair to you, what will it be for you? Many people become bitter. Many people do that. Many people just kind of zone out, they lose passion. They shut down. They lose motivation. Or they persevere. About two years after my wife and I got married, we decided we wanted to start having a family. And it wasn't too long into our journey together that we realized that we were not getting pregnant and we didn't know why we dealt with doctor's visits and testing and long hard discussions about various technologies when it comes to getting pregnant men you probably don't understand this but ladies you do in terms of tracking my wife's cycle she took her temperature every single morning for a period of three years I can still hear the clink of the thermometer on the marble nightstand top every morning after she took her temperature so that we could try to exactly track her cycle. Nothing doing. Nothing. And i got to tell you, there were a few things in my life that I wanted more than to be a father. I wanted to be a father more than I wanted to be married. Now, I know those things go together in the Christian world, but I I so wanted to be a dad. You remember, I, I got married older, a lot older. I was 37 when I got married, so I was pushing 40 in all this. At the time, I was the pastor for young couples at McLean Bible Church. Cute young couples in their 20s. And you know what cute young couples in their 20s do? They have babies. They have lots of babies. And every other week, we'd come to church to serve in our ministry. And someone else was pregnant. There was a young woman we heard of who had an unwanted pregnancy and we pursued the whole situation through family members of hers, and we agreed that we were going to pay for everything. We were going to pay for her, her health care. We were going to pr- pay for the delivery. Anything that she needed, we were going to pay for. And several months into the whole process, without a conversation, she decided to go have an abortion. Really? Really? And our conversation with God often was something like. You're going to let some young woman who's going to kill her baby. Get pregnant in the backseat of a car somewhere. But you're not going to let responsible people who are following you with everything they have. Have a child. Is, Is that what you're going to is that the way this is going to play out? God, this isn't fair. It's just not fair. Well, today, through God's unique plan, I have a daughter, whose name is Natalie, who's 13. And I have a son whose name is Adam, and he's 11. And they're the best kids that I could ever ask for. And you know in the last 13 years, we have had more ministry, heart-to-heart, over-the-dinner-table ministry to young couples who are in grief because they can't seem to have children and they don't know what God is doing. And our ministry to those who are struggling with the issue of infertility is exponentially beyond what we ever thought we would ever do. God's redeemed all of that. It was unfair at the time. It makes sense in retrospect. But it felt very unfair to us. Present pain makes little sense to us. Present pain, in it we must remain faithful. Number three, present pain often seems unfair. Fair. Back to the life of Joseph. Chapter 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You see, Joseph, in his faithfulness, in the midst of not understanding, in the midst of it feeling very unfair, he remained faithful. And just as in the home of Potiphar, he rose to the top and became chief, Of all the slaves in the prison, he rose to the top and he became in charge of the jail. If you remember the story, two of Pharaoh's officials were in prison. They both had dreams. Joseph interpreted their dreams and they came true. A couple years after that, Pharaoh had a dream and he was troubled by it. And someone remembered this young man named Joseph who was able to interpret people's dreams by the power of God. And they hauled him up out of jail, they cleaned him up, threw him in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dreams and Joseph tells him what God has revealed to Pharaoh there, that that there will be seven years of great plenty. And then there will be seven years of great famine, and they are to store up for those seven years enough food to make it through the following seven. Chapter 41, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Talk about a promotion. I mean, holy cow. The dude was in jail and then he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Chapter 41, verse 46 tells us that Joseph was 30 years old when he became second in command to Pharaoh. He was 17 when all of this started. He served Potiphar faithfully and he faithfully served in jail for a total of 13 years. 13 years. For you and for me, suffering for a day, for a few weeks, for a couple of years maybe seems over the top. Which leads us to point number four for today. Which is that God redeems and uses our pain. You must believe this. You must believe it. Because in the midst of the time when it doesn't make sense, in the midst of the time when it doesn't seem fair, you have to believe the biblical truth that God can and he will at some point that you don't understand. He is going to redeem it for your good and for his glory. And as followers of Jesus, you have to trust in the sovereignty of God. James Dobson in his book entitled When God Doesn't Make Sense says this about pain. He says, interestingly enough, pain and suffering do not cause the greatest damage to people. Confusion is the factor that sheds one's faith. The human spirit is capable of withstanding enormous discomfort, including the prospect of death, if the circumstances make sense to them. Many martyrs, political prisoners, and war heroes have gone to their graves willingly and confidently. It's not the circumstances that are the problem so much in the shredding of one's faith. It's whether or not you believe that God is in control of those circumstances that will maintain or shred your faith in the face of those circumstances. Bad things are always bad. Let me say that. Bad things never become good. Let's just say that. However, God can take bad things and use them and transform them And transform us through them. God rarely takes our pain away. He takes us on a journey through the pain. And we understand in this story. That Joseph's pain was all preparation for his usefulness in God's hand. There is always a connection between our pain and how we are transformed through it. And the usefulness that God has for us further down the road. You must believe that. It is biblical. It is historically true over and over again. But you see, if we're the ones that become bitter in response to pain, or if we're the ones that become mediocre in response to pain, we miss then the opportunity for God to use us as he transforms us. Because we're not transformed in... Bitterness and mediocrity were only transformed in faithfulness. Everyone, everyone who has ever done great things for God has endured great struggle and come through on the other side. Every single one. The ones who encountered struggle, got bitter, and distanced from God don't show up anywhere in the Christian history books of life. Romans eight twenty eight you know it well, says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. God transforms us through it. Back to our story in Genesis. The famine hits. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Famine hits the whole entire region. What happens next? Anyone want to tell me? What happens? The brothers come down from Canaan. Exactly right. The brothers come down from, from Canaan to get food because they hear that there's food. Now, Joseph was 30 when he went into Pharaoh's court. There were seven years of famine. I'm sorry, seven years of plenty. So he's now 37, plus roughly two or three years of famine before they all decide, ran out of stuff and decided to come down. So we're talking about roughly 40 years old now. He, The last time they saw him, he was 17, He's now 40. Joseph's brothers come down. Let's go to Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence, so there is no one with Joseph, when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I guess so. This is 23 years later. He doesn't even look like himself. He's a grown man. He looks like an Egyptian. And you know the headpieces and the eye makeup and all that? It's true. They really looked like that. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into into Egypt. And now here, this is the most important part of the whole thing. Pay attention. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it is not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, the ruler of Egypt. To me, this passage right here is the most powerful biblical example Of the interplay between human free will and the sovereignty of God, human free will and the sovereignty of God. You ever have conversations? This is a very popular topic to argue about. Do you believe in free will? Do you believe in predestination and the sovereignty of God? Free will? (laughs) No, no. Which do you believe in? Well, let me ask it to you this way: Who sent Joseph to Egypt? Anyone? Well, he did? Well, didn't his brothers sell him into slavery? Didn't they? Yes. So who sent him to Egypt? (laughs) You see how this works? God wove his sovereign plan. For whose benefit, by the way? The brothers, whose lives did he save? God used their sinful choices to save their own lives by selling their brother into slavery so that then he could then save their lives 23 years down the road. Joseph got it. He got it. He suddenly was able to see how his pain made sense. It didn't make sense. 23 years before, it didn't seem fair for 13 years. It didn't seem fair, and it wasn't fair in truth. But then he understood. He understood that God is so big, and the other 98% of knowledge that we do not understand, according to Albert Einstein, in that 98%, somehow God is able to even take the sinful choices of human beings, weave them into his plan for greater good, even for the sinful people. Which allowed Joseph to be able to say, God sent me ahead of you. This was God's doing. Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? The Jews? The Romans? It was God. Did God kill Jesus? It was God's plan to use the sinful choices of human beings for his greater plan. So who killed Jesus? All of the above. All of the above. Present pain makes little sense to us. But in the present, we must remain faithful. Our present pain often seems unfair. But we need to understand that God redeems and uses our pain. Lastly, we are to see God's hand in life's pain. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the final challenge for you is that you must choose to see God's plan, whether you understand it fully or not, in life's pain. That chapter that we just read was in chapter 45. In chapter 50, the last chapter in the book of Genesis, it closes with this. Joseph says to his brothers again, after all of these years, But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And reassure them. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. They they didn't get it. They were still, still waiting for the hammer to come down. But Joseph had been transformed through life's pain over a period of 23 years so that he could release them from the sin and the choices that they had made because he was able to see it as part of God's plan. When my wife and I were much younger than we are now, we were very close friends with a a young couple who have since long moved away. Along their journey, they had a son. And then their second child was a a sweet little girl born with Down syndrome. And an email shortly after Christie's birth, this is what her mom wrote to me. She said, This is, believe it or not, not a crisis of faith for us. My faith in Christ of 27 years has taught me that in God's economy, that God's economy does not equal that of the world's. He values things that the world fails to blink at, while the world esteems things that matter little in the life to come. Again, this was years ago. This is interesting. The Donald Trumps and Princess Diana's don't impress God more than the orphans in La Romana, which is in Dominican Republic, where together we were on a mission trip with this couple years ago. When you think of God, who appointed to be king of Israel, David, the very youngest and least of the house of Jesse, you begin to get a glimpse into his perfect order. In God's economy, prostitutes like Rahab have purpose. Peasant girls like Esther can become queen of Persia. Destitute widows like Ruth and Naomi can be esteemed as women of great faith. Even his very own son he entrusted to a common woman married to a craftsman instead of a royal line. I do not see value in I I do see value in my daughter's life. I know that she'll teach me things that I can't learn without her in my life. Through this entire week and a half, I have never once wavered in my belief that God is 100% good and that, that his ways are good and yet do believe in an imperfect world. He's the answer, though, not the problem. As the author and creator of life, I see God's domain as selecting my daughter's DNA composition. He's entrusted me and Randy with the domain of parenting. I continue to thank him and trust him for doing his job and pray that he'll give me the strength and wisdom to uphold mine. Yeah, that is the perspective of life's challenges. And the reality that to us present pain makes little sense. That yet we are to remain faithful. Even when pain often seems unfair, God can and he does redeem and use our pain. And the challenge is, will you see God's hand in your pain? There's no doubt in my mind that in this room there are people with significant challenges right now. Things that they didn't ask for, things that they don't want. Things that you just want to go away. God rarely just takes our pain away. He would much rather transform us through it into his image. I'm going to pray and then we're going to throw a question up on the screen because we're going to ask you to take a few minutes as we wrap up to chat. And um, I pray that these few moments of interaction with you all will... um, Help take these principles just a little bit deeper. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of Joseph. A man who faced incredible challenges, and yet he rose up. And you blessed. And I pray, Father, that we would be the kind of people that in life's pain we would remain faithful, we would trust you, and God, that we would perhaps, perhaps be people Father, who live consistently like those in the hall of faith, those who have journeyed along through life's difficulties and have remained faithful, who you have blessed and who you have used in great ways for your glory. Thank you, we pray in your name. Amen.